This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 286. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. But first, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 27 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Danny and Jared had just had a lovely visit to a hive-owned speakeasy called The Cellar. They decided to continue the evening back at Jared's condo. Jared gave Danny a tour, during which she noticed pictures of him with an attractive Arambian woman. When she asked about them, Jared's mood immediately became sad and withdrawn. This was Catherine, Jared's wife, who died three years ago. She had been attacked by an unknown vampire, part of a ploy by the syndicate to gain influence over Jared as a member of the police force. But Catherine had left instructions not to be reanimated, so her body was cremated before she could come back as a vampire herself. It was obvious that Jared was still carrying around a lot of grief about his wife's death. It must have been a difficult decision for him to even start dating again. Danny, hoping to salvage the evening, carried a couple of photo albums over to Jared and persuaded him to start sharing stories about Catherine. Not about her death, but about their life together. Gradually, he did so, and after a few hours, they were laughing together about one of Jared and Catherine's misadventures. With the clock past one in the morning, Jared was about to take Danny home, but she asked to spend the night with him, and he consented. Together, they made the decision to lay the past aside and begin making a new life together. Danny had sex for the first time as a woman, and the experience was like nothing she'd felt before, and Jared was deeply moved by it as well. As they lay in a tangle of post-coital bliss, he whispered, Oh, gods, Danny, I love you. Never leave me. Never leave me. And Danny knew in that moment, that she would never want to. Making the Cut A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 27 Thursday, 
June 20th. Rebecca woke up screaming. No! Daniel! She tried to sit up and quickly found that her pregnant belly made that harder than usual. She made it halfway and turned to prop herself up sideways on the bed, but her whole body was shaking, and she didn't get any further than that. She whipped her head around wildly, feeling like a trapped animal, pinned to the mattress by her own bloated body. Images of her surroundings spun dizzily around her. Small room? No windows? Desk? Chair? Lamp? They blended with images of other things, other places, possibly other times, but she couldn't make any sense of it. Inside her womb, her daughter Lila thrashed and protested, her half-formed mind shouting wordless thoughts at Rebecca and begging her to stop. The alien thoughts of the child inside her head didn't help matters. A pair of slender arms wrapped around her from behind, holding her close. It's okay, a gentle voice told her from somewhere just behind her ear. It's all right, baby. You're safe now. A wave of comfort ran through her jumbled mind, inviting her frantic thoughts to calm themselves. She closed her eyes and held on to that telepathic suggestion, embracing it, letting it steady her. She let out a soft groan, and a lot of the tension went out of her along with it. Lila stopped kicking and turning, and her simple thoughts quickly returned to a state of quiet contentment. It's okay, Sasha said again, running her hand protectively over Rebecca's belly. I'm here, Becca. You're going to be all right. Sasha nestled into the spoon's position behind Rebecca, and her bare skin felt warm and comforting. Rebecca just lay there for a long while, saying nothing, while her thoughts tried to drag themselves back into some sense of order. When her thoughts were mostly clear again, Sasha stroked her hair and planted a kiss on the nape of her neck. Bad dream or bad vision? Rebecca opened her eyes and stared at the wall of the secondary bedroom, furrowing her brow in concentration. She tried to remember what she had seen, but the images refused to come back to her. I don't know, she said. Frustrated, she moved Sasha's arm away from her belly and swung her legs over the side of the bed, forcing herself to sit up. You said Daniel's name a minute ago, Sasha said quietly. Rebecca nodded listlessly. I don't know what that meant either, she said, feeling sullen, so don't bother asking. She felt a stab of surprise and hurt from Sasha, and she hung her head, embarrassed. I'm sorry. That was mean. Sasha came and sat beside her, putting an arm around her in a sideways hug. With her free hand, she traced her fingers down the side of Rebecca's face, gently turning her face toward Sasha's. Their lips met in a tender kiss, which spoke forgiveness to her more eloquently than words ever could. Rebecca opened her eyes to see Sasha looking straight into them. "'You've been distant,' she said, her own blue eyes full of concern. "'Last night, when we were making love, you held your mind back from me.' She touched Rebecca's cheek again. "'And not just then. You've been growing apart from us.' Rebecca lowered her eyes. "'It's the baby. My hormones are all messed up. It's not just the baby.' Sasha said. 
Something's been eating at you, and you're keeping it from the rest of us. She reached down and took Rebecca's hand. It will help if you talk about it. No, Rebecca said, shaking her head. You guys have enough to worry about. This has got nothing to do with you. That's not true, Sasha said. If it affects one of us, it affects all of us. That's how families work. She craned her head forward and tried to catch Rebecca's eye. Let me help, sweetie. Please? Rebecca sniffed and wiped at her eyes. She took a deep breath, then let it out again. (sighs) Something's wrong with Daniel. You did see something then? No, and that's the problem. She looked up at the wall again. Sasha had hung a yew-tree crucifix up there. To help ward off vampires and spirits, she said. But Rebecca thought it was more to her than just a good luck charm. Rebecca was a Mariahist herself, so she never really got the ecclesiast thing about having the tree in every room. Even if she had, she didn't think it would be giving her much encouragement right now. Daniel hasn't been returning my calls, she said. Not since the funeral. Sometimes Kevin or Nate will pick up the phone, but they always say D isn't there. When I try to ask him, I can't find him anywhere. I get pictures of him from the past, but nothing of him now. She shook her head. That's never happened before, Sash. I'm scared. Sasha squeezed her hand. Okay, if ESP isn't working, let's try something else. Rebecca looked at her. Like what? Like Elder Bakhtavar, Sasha said. She's supposed to come over today to talk with us about the mission. Let's ask her to put it out on the mind links and find out what he's doing. Somebody in the hive must have seen him in the last three weeks, right? Rebecca nodded. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. She smiled through her tears and pulled Sasha into a tight hug. Thanks, Sash. It's hard for me to talk about Daniel with the others. Fiona starts getting suspicious that I'm going to cheat on you guys, and Brian just feels guilty, like he thinks he stole me from Daniel or something. I know, Sasha said. Look, Bex, it's okay that you still love Daniel. Even if he can't be with you, that's no reason for you to turn your feelings off. The time you had with him is something you can share with us in the Gestalt, and it enriches all of us. She gave Rebecca a faint smile. Besides, I always knew you had more than enough love in you to go around. Rebecca returned the smile, then leaned in to kiss her again. Think we have time for a shower before Mistress Bakhtivar gets here? I'm still no good at washing my feet with this big fat belly out in front of me. Sasha ran her tongue over her lips and put a hand on Rebecca's inner thigh. Oh, I think we'll have time to pamper all sorts of hard-to-reach places. One prolonged and highly interesting shower later, Sasha emerged from the bathroom with Rebecca. She'd overestimated how much time they would have. As they entered the kitchen, she saw Brian, Fiona, and Miriam Bakhtivar all gathered around the table, well into the midst of their final mission plans. Breakfast was already waiting for them, and Sasha munched on eggs and whole-grain toast while she listened to the telepathic conversation between her husband, her wife, and the elder. Miriam had succeeded in pulling together all of the resources they needed, and tomorrow the operation would go down, one way or another. Miriam raised her mug to her lips, 
and Sasha felt a twinge of mild disappointment from her as she realized it was empty. Fiona spoke before the older woman had even set down the cup. Would you like me to brew another cup of tea for you, Elder? Her tone was excessively courteous, almost fawning. Sasha hid a grin behind her own cup of coffee. Fiona never spoke of her hero worship for Miriam Bakhtivar, and she had only rarely allowed Sasha deep enough into her mind to catch a glimpse of it. It made sense. Fiona had always wanted to be the best, and Miriam epitomized what an egoist was capable of. Hells, she'd kept her body in the prime of life for more than a century, using only the power of her mind. Fiona hadn't even figured out how to erase one of her freckles. Privately, Sasha suspected that Fiona also lusted for the beautiful elder, but if so, she wouldn't show those thoughts to anyone. That's quite all right, Fiona, Miriam said. You stay here and help Brian plot the escape route. I'm still quite capable of preparing a cup of tea for myself. Sasha thought she caught a whiff of disappointment from Fiona, but the redhead composed herself almost instantly and went back to helping Brian. As Miriam came over to the sink and began refilling the tea kettle, Sasha heard the elder's voice in her mind. "'Am I correct in presuming that you two would like a word with me?' she asked. Sasha kept her facial expression neutral and took another drink. "'Yes, elder. One of our friends has gone missing.' We were hoping that you might be able to ask the Hive whether anyone knows where he is. Perhaps, Miriam said. Tell me what you know. Rebecca quickly recounted the last time she had seen Daniel, as well as the trouble she had been having when she tried to use her ESP to find him. It may be nothing to worry about, the Elder assured them. Often the dramatic events in our lives can change our understanding of our own identity. If our perception of ourselves changes... That also changes the face we show to the world, and sometimes that makes it difficult for Aspers to find us. The deaths of your friends may have had such an effect on Daniel. If he is still grieving, that may also explain his desire for solitude. Maybe, Rebecca said, but that doesn't sound like Daniel to me. After Del and Trace died, he was doing a lot better than I was. Could you check, just to be safe? He works at Barnhart General, Sasha added. That's a hive-owned hospital, so somebody must have seen him there. Miriam nodded slowly, then carried the kettle over to the stove to start it boiling. Very well. If it will help to put your minds at ease, I shall ask. The elder bowed her head, and Sasha felt an odd tingling in the air as the older woman extended her power. Though she was best known for her powers of psychometabolism, Miriam was also a telepath of respectable power and exceptional skill. As an elder, she was more closely attuned to the network of subtle telepathic connections that bound the hive together, and Sasha felt her reach out and project her thoughts into that network, asking for the information that they needed. The answer must have come back almost immediately, because less than a minute later a small smile formed on Miriam's face. I've made contact with some of his co-workers, she said. They said they would send back images in just a moment. Rebecca let out an audible sigh of relief. Ah, yes, here we are, Miriam said. Let us see, then, what our friend Daniel is up to. She opened up the mind link to Sasha and Rebecca. The images began to flow up through the network, reaching all three of them at the same time. 
Miriam's smile vanished. Rebecca let out a choked cry. Sasha nearly fell out of her chair. "'Blood of Eli,' she whispered. "'What have you done, Daniel? My God, what have you done?' All right, that's got it. Just hold still a little longer. Danny gritted her teeth and tried not to squirm as the forceps grabbed hold of something and then pulled it free from her body. A moment later, the doctor's bare hand touched the back of her neck and a cool wave of psychic healing energy closed the incision. The doctor set the forceps in a little tray next to the examining table. Danny looked down with mild curiosity at the subdermal implant that had, until now, shielded her body from the effects of the curse. There you are, the doctor said. Not too bad, was it? Not too, Danny agreed. She ran her hand over the back of her neck, feeling only smooth, unblemished skin. It wasn't even tender. The doc was obviously skilled with his powers. What happens now? Well, your paperwork is finalized with the Majestrix, right? Danny nodded. I got the message from the Citadel last night. Good. That means that your custom-tuned variant of the curse is already woven over your body. Think of it like a coating that's been sitting on top of you, with the suppression amulet forming a barrier between them. Now that the amulet is gone, the magic of the curse will start integrating itself with your body immediately. The process should be complete in 24 to 48 hours. Danny couldn't keep from smiling at that. That's great. I... She paused as a thought struck her. Oh, wait. Will I have to get the pseudocurse removed first? The doctor shrugged. You should check with the wizard who made the spell, but I don't think it will be a problem. The curse is stronger than any human magic, so my guess is that it will simply displace the existing spell weave as it takes hold. You might experience some minor disruptions in your body's form, but they shouldn't last very long. All right. Danny got to her feet and bowed to him. Thank you, doctor. He returned the bow, then offered his hand to Danny. She clasped it, and he sent her a wave of acceptance and affirmation through the telepathic link. I'm always happy to see new women join the hive, but I think you're the first one I've heard of who was a male in the hive first. I hope it works out for you. This could be the start of a great thing for the Collective if you succeed. She gripped his hand firmly and nodded. Well, it's not going to fail on my end. Thanks again, Doc. I'll see you at the next Hive meeting. She left the doctor's office and went down to the lab to start her workday. A couple of hours later, she called Artax, who confirmed the doctor's guess. The pseudo-curse would be gradually replaced by the real one as it took hold, so she wouldn't have to change back to Daniel in the interim. She felt relieved at that. Jared had bought her an extension to the pseudocurse spell, so that he wouldn't have to spend even a day apart from her, and it would have been a serious letdown if she'd had to change back now. Danny looked at the clock and smiled. She couldn't feel the curse taking hold inside her, but she knew it was working. In 24 hours, Danny Shirabi would be here to stay. And that's the end of Chapter 27. Come back next time, when Rebecca and her cellmates try to make sense of Danny's decision. 
now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of April 24th to April 30th. I wrote 1,472 words this week, over the course of four hours, for an average writing speed of 368 words per hour. I wrote on two out of seven days this week. Looking back at the month of April, I wrote a total of 9,494 words in 16 days, averaging 593 words per day. That ranks 56th out of the 72 months since I started this show. I spent 16.75 hours writing in April. Compared to March, my word count decreased by 30%, and my writing time decreased by 15%. There were a number of things that held me back from writing this week. I've been dealing with a post-novel depressive funk ever since I finished the Honor Bound trilogy, and after finishing my first draft of Learning the Ropes, it hit me doubly hard. For most of the week, I didn't even think about writing. I felt drained, unmotivated, and unsure of myself. I spent a lot of free time playing video games to avoid thinking about it. I also caught my first cold since the start of the pandemic, which has been frankly awful. Mel brought it back with her from her vacation, but it hit me harder than it did her. Maybe because of my asthma, or maybe just because I haven't been working a retail job, so my immune system has had fewer challenges over the last year. Whatever the reason, it has sort of knocked me on my ass and made it hard to feel motivated to do very much. In the last few days, though, I decided to start using my writing time to address the plot troubles with None Shall Dwell Within. You may recall that when I stopped working on this story in January of 2020, I was having some trouble with the mystery side of this book. The story begins with the assassination of an important senator, in which Malcolm Ardvalos is implicated as the main suspect. The trouble was, I needed to work out a clearer picture of how the senator was killed, what clues would be uncovered during the investigation, and how they would find out who was really responsible. I had jumped into writing the book without getting all of the pieces of the story into place. And it showed. So this week I went back to the drawing board. I did some more research on the types of poisons that have been used in assassinations, how they're delivered, and how they affect the body. From there, I reworked the timeline for Senator Ryland's death in a way that worked better for the story, particularly because it made the frame job against Malcolm seem more plausible. I'm going to end up throwing out most of what I've written for this story, but that's okay. I set it aside long enough ago that I'm not emotionally invested in those words anymore, and if it makes for a better story, it's worth it. April 30th marked the end of Season 6 of The Raven and the Writing Desk, so now it's time for the the end-of-the-year writing report. I wrote 211,497 words this season, over the course of 271 days, averaging 780 words per day. That's my third highest word total since I started this podcast, and it's my highest total since Season 2. I had an average monthly word count of 17,625 words, and my median word count was 18,904 words. This was also my most consistent year for month-to-month writing performance. 
the standard deviation between months was only 4,962 words, compared to 6,001 words in Season 5. I completed three short novels in this season, the Honor Bound trilogy, and one novelette, Learning the Ropes. Even though I hit a slump in the second half of April, this is the first season I've ever gone a full 12 months without ever dropping below 9,000 words in a month. That's a lot to be proud of. Here's hoping that I can continue the trend in Season 7. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.